0: I have a topic, the future. The future. The future. Yes Yes or no? Yes. The future, yes? yes? Anybody like the future, no? Exa- examine your hearts, examine your expectations, your personality for a minute. When I say, oh, your future, do you feel yes? Or do you feel, uh, <laughs> where are we? Yes? yes. Uh. And, 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 all right. Because this is a controversial topic for most people. Jesus talked a lot about the future. Uh, he talked about it usually uh, in one of two ways. Either it was a place of stress or it was a, a place of security. I think it's one of the most fundamental choices of, uh, of sort of this Christian walk that, that we walk. Okay, I got another warm-up question. You guys starting to feel it? Have you ever... Um, had something that seemed terrible at the time, but eventually turned into a blessing for you. Oh, here's something I started from definite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ever had one of those things when it was going down? You thought pretty much the world w- was ending. Anyone? Anyway? And then, like, you know, a year or two later, you're like, thank God that happened. Go ahead and just like wave your hand at me if that's you. Wave your hand at the people next to you. Smile when you do it. It seems like you're being friendly. Try it in traffic. It spreads the love. (laughs) All right, another warm-up question. Uh, We're in the Easter season. Uh, We're thinking about the end of Jesus' earthly life, and we're thinking about resurrection from the grave. All right, so this is sort of cerebral. This is sort of intellectual. You're going to have to think this thing through. So here we go. What are the two ingredients of resurrection? Who knows? Death and rebirth. Death and life. Very good. Very good. Or just because I like to take a dark uh, turn on things, Uh, one of the key ingredients to resurrection is death. Just so you know. We all know what the second ingredient is when you say resurrection. Everybody thinks that life. I think it thinks of life. I think it's a good word uh, that way. Um, all right, final warm-up question, and then we're going to be entirely warm. Uh, nobody's going to pull any mental muscles today. Uh, have you ever had a sense in your life that something big was on the horizon? Like you couldn't put your finger on it, but just somehow in your spirit, you got this sense that. Change is coming. Ever had that sense? Turn to somebody next to you and say, yes, or uh, is this guy gonna get around to saying something biblical or not? And when you had that sense, did it feel ominous or did it feel uh, reassuring, generally? Reassuring, ominous, Ever have a sense that something ominous was coming down in life? Ever have that sense? There are clouds on the horizon. You ever got that sense? Some sort of storm or shock is coming? Talk to me. All right, thank you. How did you handle it? What did you do? I don't really want you to answer. I just want you to think about it. Uh, Because I, I think it's one of those rhythms of life. Uh, Sometimes it can be given by circumstances. Sometimes it just comes from the eternal churning in our own hearts. I've said this before um, when relaying stories about my life, and particularly the arc of my life, that when God has advanced me forward in life, the mechanism that he has used to advance me forward almost always has been failure. I have some sort of epic failure in my life, uh, some sort of dead end, some sort of ominous thud uh, that brings change that ends up uh, advancing me forward. Uh, I've told, you know, probably dozens of stories about this sort of uh, mechanism uh, in in my life. Here's one that that uh, I know that I've, I've told at least once before in sermons, but uh, but it was sort of a, a downer time in my life. I was really kind of at the end of my my period of, of, of depression, of years of depression uh, in my life, I was clawing my way out of it. I was having some, uh, some powerful interactions with God anyway. Uh, but, but some of the, some of the things that, have, that had happened to me in that season is that uh, for various reasons, um, uh, I had to leave uh, my, my academic career. I was in academia for a long time. I had gotten a PhD, I was working for uh, a couple uh, policy think tanks at Harvard. You know, I was going really hard, really gangbusters on that. And then everything just sort of uh, came to a halt, fell apart. And I felt really bad about that. That was really depressing during that period of my life. Uh, Sony and I were just creeping into our early 30s. And we had started uh, trying to have kids. And we had uh, seven straight miscarriages um, and uh, struggling with some other uh, health issues, lost a close family member. And I had gone to work for um, a startup, a computer company, really because I didn't know what else to do. And I had started as sort of a, a code writer, sort of an engineer, and I had become the vice president of business development. And you know, startups are very high pressure, uh, very dicey, uh, and uh, and uh, we were just making it. I was just kind of getting some momentum into the company. And then the president of the company uh, basically uh, took all the money out of the company and left the country and kind of left me in charge. I didn't even have enough money for payroll. I scrambled really hard. I hustled a few contracts. I invented a new way of doing presentations. I was living in Boston at the time. I'd gotten a couple contracts in Manhattan that were going to float the company for a while. And then 9-11 happened. Some planes flew into the trade centers. And among all the other tragedies that went down, of uh, that week, I lost those contracts. The, the the businesses literally, you know, went up in flames. Um, that I had contracted with, and, and and in the aftermath of that, I was uh, scrambling to uh, to hold things together and hustle some other contracts, come up with some other uh, uh, releases uh, for our product. And uh, when I got the uh, got the news that uh, I had lost the bid. Uh, for this one big contract that was going to keep us afloat, it was—it was about 2 a.m. I was pulling yet another all-nighter in our office space. which was a very nice computer software office space, very typical—a nice loft, very airy. But when you're all alone at 2 a.m., it just feels cavernous. Uh, and I remember plopping down on a step, and and uh, and just just losing it, just sort of weeping. And it was just like. Weeping because I felt like I was not able to keep this business afloat that a, that had that a business that I didn't like by the way uh, that I didn't want to be working in but I felt responsible for the uh, the salaries of all of my friends you know and 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 trying to hold things together in spite of the vaguely criminal activity of the chief executive and 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 just you know all the tragedies and disappointments in my own life I mean you can just kind of imagine what that moment is like right and I just like Ugh! you know, and I'm very selfish and self-absorbed, you know, I was saying things like, even the terrorists are against me, which of course wasn't true, <laughs> but, you know, you, you feel stupid things like that when you're in that moment, and I was just sort of slowly praying to God, like, you know, I, I just, I mean, I tried so hard, Lord, I've been trying so hard, and it was one of those times where the Lord just spoke really clearly. He, he just spoke and stopped me dead. I remember I just gasping while I was weeping because it was like he arrested me physically. And, and he spoke and said, you have passed the test. From now on, you work for me. And uh, I remember my first reaction was, what test? <laughs> I've, I've, There's been a test? I don't remember studying for this test, exactly. You know, it's been hard, you know, is that, is that what you mean? And then I very quickly shifted to, what, what, what do you mean I, I work for you? And, and, uh, and that started a, a cascade of events. Uh, that was in my early 30s. I have never held a regular job since then. Uh, there have been years of my life where Sony and I had no visible means of income, but you know, we would just kind of pray and, and money would show up, but it has just been kind of all ministry all the time. Often in irregular ways, but never anything but that. Um, and all, all that I do in life right now, uh, I could say, was born of abject failure. A complete wipeout. Complete wipeout. Oh, that's resurrection. You know, not literal resurrection, I didn't come back to life, but I found my life through death, disappointment, and dead end. I found the sort of life that I'm I'm leading now. Oh, does anybody else have that experience? It's like your life just sort of came from wipeout, from a dead end? We get the story of Easter, which is that Like literally, (laughs) exactly that. You know, life comes from wipeout. Life comes from graves, you know. And it's supernatural life. You know, anybody can be born, but as Jesus said, oh, to be born again. (laughs) You know, to be born of the Spirit, to be born into the different kind of life that is extra fruitful, extra resilient, and extra mm, forever. Well, you know, it takes a, it takes a relationship with God uh, to do that. Uh, I have a story uh, from uh, the 11th chapter of John in your program uh, this morning. It'll be up on the big board. It is the story of this, uh, this good friend of Jesus named Lazarus. Do you know the story of Lazarus? What's remarkable about Lazarus? He, he rose from the dead. Uh, Lazarus, like, was dead, and then he wasn't. And then, if you go far enough, he was dead again, and then wasn't. But that's not what this story uh, covers. You might not know this about Lazarus, but Lazarus and his two sisters uh, became apostles and church planters in the early church. They went all the way to France and planted churches in France. So they were kind of a, a big deal. Um, they stayed faithful to the Lord to the end and across many, many miles. Um, what I've done here is I've exep- excerpted just uh, the, the first part of the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus, which is just to say, you know, the death of, of Lazarus and how Jesus navigated uh, those early moments of the story. Um, you know how this story ends. Alright, you know, if you have any familiarity with big Bible stories, you know that in the end, Jesus walked in front of the grave of Lazarus and said, you guys just, you kind of suck this morning. He, he said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come forth. I will accept any of it, right? And then, you know, Lazarus walks out, and he walks out in the grave clothes. You know, he's been dead for four days, and, and it's like, you know, it's like the mummy, except really cool. And, uh, and. uh if you have ever attended Sunday school, you have definitely seen this acted out uh, with a young man wrapped in toilet paper. Am I right? Yeah. I'm right. Okay. And it has stuck with you. So this is, this is that story, the resurrection of, of Lazarus. But the disciples didn't know that that's how the story was going to end. I don't know. Even Jesus might have been feeling his way through it a little bit. We never know exactly what Jesus knew and and. You know, we see him get surprised occasionally in Scripture, but he at least definitely has an idea that this is going to go in a good direction, but his disciples didn't even have that idea. They just know that trouble uh, is afoot. Now, what you should know as we read this, uh, these few paragraphs uh, is that um, to, uh, to visit Lazarus' home, Lazarus uh, and, and his sisters, uh, Martha and Mary, it required Jesus and the boys to approach uh, the boundaries of Jerusalem uh, right, right next to Jerusalem and the hills and Jesus and, and his disciples had just fled Jerusalem uh, because the religious authorities there literally had tried to kill Jesus, had tried to stone him to death because they were taking offense at Jesus. So Jesus had just fled murderers in Jerusalem and now they're talking about going back to Jerusalem Uh, to help out Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. The Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That would actually come later, but it was a very famous story. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Your loved one is sick. Why don't you come heal him? When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. It's a very provocative phrase because you know what's going to happen. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? What? One of the keys to understanding Bible passages is always to let yourself get bothered. And when you read a Bible passage, always ask yourself, what bugs me about this? Well, this is one of those lines that automatically bugs you, right? Jesus really loved this family. So when Lazarus got sick, he didn't do anything for two days. I don't know, Jesus has got something cooking in his head, right, he's not sharing it yet, but that's just really interesting. The way he plays this is really interesting. Uh, So he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea, which in the context, like I explained, was a very threatening, ominous thing for Jesus to say. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you are going back? You are nuts. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Parenthetical statement, Jesus could be an extremely frustrating conversationalist because the only realistic answer uh, to this statement is, what? What, what, what are you saying? It has something to do, you know, obviously with, you know, If you walk in the light, you're you're gonna be be okay. Something like that. But I imagine the disciples being really confused. After he had said this to them, he went on to tell them, oh thank God, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Okay. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Meaning, you don't really have to go, risking your life and our life just just to wake the guy up. Sounds like he's doing fine, uh, Jesus, so no problem. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, sure. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him." (laughs) Man, it's so crazy. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I'll just tell you right now, Thomas is my guy. I love Thomas. I love Thomas. Of course, Thomas has a nickname in Scripture or in church history, it's it's Doubting Thomas. Doubting. I, but I, we'll talk about that. But I would just like to point out that Thomas was the guy that got the other disciples to go with Jesus. And he did it with great optimism. <laughs> I, didn't, no, I, just, I just get it. I just get him. I get Thomas. He said, look, it's the right thing to do, so let's go. It's going to suck, but we're going to do it. That's my guy, and I don't know, if I have to explain that to you, maybe you won't get it, but he was full of something, and it was strength. It just might not have been perfect, um, and, and I, I love that about him. Interesting story, right? Jesus is gonna go uh, to his sick friend, Lazarus. It turns out his friend has died, but he's gonna go anyway. And he's going to go to a place where it is very likely people will try to kill him. Skipping ahead. They eventually succeed. And they do kill him. And his disciples have a nose for this. They're like, this is not smart. This is ominous. There are clouds on this horizon. Are you sure you want to do this? And I imagine when he says to them, oh, you know, Lazarus is dead. Then they're convicted all the more in their conservatism. Like, well, then let's definitely not go because you know it's too late. Uh, the dude is dead, uh, and he's like, no, I'm gonna wake him up. And I was like, ah, oh, mind-bend. And in that confusion, you know, Thomas speaks out you know, with sort of faith. Any, any, any of you ever had sort of faith? Sort of faith? Um, great, great story. Uh, Let us go with him that we might die also. Is what he said. You know, you can muse on that statement. Let us go with him that we may die also. That we may die just like, like Lazarus died. Or that, that we might die just like Jesus is going to die. Uh, which, skipping way ahead in the story, Thomas eventually does. Uh, he gets uh, pierced with spears on a beach in India. He become the, becomes the far, farthest traveled of all the church planting apostles in early church history. You know, Doubting Thomas became the most adventurous uh, of all the guys. Um, doesn't matter. He, he kind of expects death, uh, but he's, he's going to do it anyway. He, ex, he knows that death lay ahead of them because Lazarus is dead, and he expects death to beget death. Jesus, for some reason, expects that death will beget life. And there you go. That's the sermon right there. I think Thomas's attitude is full of, of resolve. It's what I call it, resolve. You know, he has, he has solved it in a certain way in his mind, uh, even though the solution he comes up with is not exactly a positive and exciting one. Thomas uh, got everyone to do the right thing. He did. He got all of his all of his guys to do the right thing and to go with Jesus to Judea. He got them to do the right thing, but not all of the right thing. You know, they 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 were obedient, but they were not they were not positive about it. They were not expecting life to come from death. They were expecting just you know, I don't know, to be obedient to death. And as a result, all these guys abandoned Jesus and his moment of death, right? Very famously, we're entering the Easter season, uh, the season of Good Friday. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you know the story when Jesus was crucified on the cross. His friends did not stick with him. They all ran away like chickens. Peter denying him. Only the youngest, only the kid John stayed with Jesus at the cross. And, and that might have been because he was a kid and he knew the soldiers were not going to kill a kid. <clears throat> Jesus uh, was left without his friends, only the kid and some of the women uh, stayed with him. Um, Thomas was faithful, uh, but he was not filled with faith. You know, he was faithful, but he did not expect goodness. You ever been there? You ever been there? Um, I, I like that strength in Thomas. Another story I like about Thomas is, you know, Jesus has been killed, stuck in the grave, and the disciples are in hiding, right? They're in hiding. And uh, then Mary discovers the empty grave and runs back and tells the disciples about it and there's all this confusion and consternation. She knows where they're hiding and they have this discussion in the hiding place. And then Jesus shows up and says, yeah, I am alive. And, you know, and they rejoice and they freak out a little bit, but there's one guy who's not there, who's not in the hiding place with the other disciples. Well, Thomas isn't there, which is how he gets the moniker Doubting Thomas. Because later, when they tell Thomas that Jesus had visited them, he says, yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm not gonna be fooled again. Um, I'm, not, I'm not going there, not unless he shows up and lets me see his scars and handle them physically uh, will I believe. Uh, and so he gets scolded by Jesus when Jesus does show up. He's like, oh, you should have believed all along. But here's what I noticed about that story. Thomas was the only guy who was not in hiding. He was the only guy with the guts to walk around town. You know, that sort of icy resolve, that sort of strength, which ultimately I think the Lord honored. Thomas had mastered fear. He just hadn't mastered faith. And sometimes we get stuck in that in-between area. It's like, hey, if I have to, if I have to die, I will die. But it's going to suck. <laughs> As opposed to, hey, if I have to die, I'll die. If I have to be disappointed, I'm going to be disappointed. If I have to let go of this dream, I will let go of this dream. And it will suck, but that's okay. I'll hold on because I'm a pit bull and I can take it because I'm a man. Or whatever goes through your head. But that's not faith. Not fully. That's just that's just resolve. Um, and I, I, I identify with that. There are other... Uh, possible uh, reactions to clouds on the horizon, to sort of a dead end looming in front of you. Uh, You could do what I call the overly conservative uh, or responsibility card. You know, it's like let's go die with Jesus. Well, no, I mean, is that the prudent thing to do? Is that the responsible thing to do? I mean, let's think about the kids. Let's think about our, our responsibilities. Let's think about what would be better for the future. And so you sort of think practically and you think yourself right out of adventure. Uh, Some people uh, do that. There's sort of the pretentious faith reaction to clouds on the horizon, to a looming dead end, uh, which is, oh, you know, it's gonna be fine. Nothing could possibly go wrong. You just wait and see. Um, And I call that pretentious faith because there's a little bit of pretending in it. A lot went wrong. You know, Lazarus did die. He was dead. Jesus did get murdered. All of the apostles, save one, eventually would get murdered for their faith. I mean, you know, that's, that, that's ominous. Um, so you, you have to have faith that has space for dead ends and disappointment. It's just that you also have to have faith that God will carry it through to a resurrection. You know, God won't necessarily spare you from harm. He will just always resurrects you on the other side of it. You know what I'm saying? There's the lukewarm reaction uh, to uh, clouds on the horizon, which is like, you know, the we'll see. I'm not gonna get too excited. I'm not gonna get uh, too bummed. Uh, I'm not gonna try too hard at anything. I'm just gonna coast along, and that's a strategy that a lot of us adopt in life. And then, you know, there's, there's the real faith reaction, which is the one that I think the Bible advocates. You could just as well call it realistic faith, which is, which is to say, well, realistically speaking, bad things happen, but it will be okay in the end. And you sort of embrace both ingredients of resurrection. You embrace the death. You embrace the disappointment. You embrace the dead end on one side. It's like, yeah, that happened. Uh, this is going to happen. And then you also embrace the promise of life. And yet it will lead somewhere. And yet it will lead somewhere. Because for every death there is a rebirth in God's kingdom. That's realistic faith. I've I've very often had this sense in life that I talked to you about earlier, this sense that something big and ominous was on the horizon. And I've pretty much always been right about it uh, when I've had it. When I expect a big traumatic change, I'm almost, Almost always uh, right. It it is, it is the the spiritual gift in my pessimism. This prophetic accuracy uh, of my uh, my acerbic uh, personality. Um, but there is a choice of how to handle it. You know, when when you see it coming, you know, is it going to fill you with a sense of dread, or is it going to fill you with a sense of Faith. Like, well, we'll see what God will do with this. Um, it's not exactly optimism, but it's it's faith. You know, it's faith that will definitely get you through. Uh, what I do, uh, and I would suggest this life strategy for you when you feel like something ominous is coming, or when you feel like you're in in a dead end, or in a season of death, whether it's literal or metaphorical uh, in your life, I would suggest that you kind of break it down moment by moment. Uh, Do the right thing in the moment. If something disappointing happens in the moment, it is proper to grieve. You should get sad. Something terribly frustrating happens, maybe in the moment, it's proper to be angry in the moment. Maybe it's proper to you know, react with heartbreak in the moment. Just don't get stuck in that moment in the thing, right? Another moment is coming. We'll do what's right in the moment, but then move on to the next moment, to the moment of life, to the moment of opening, to the moment of, of uh, rebirth. I love that word momentous. Do you know that word? When I say the word momentous, what, is, what does it mean? What does momentous mean? Huge. Yeah. What else? What's the impression you get from the word momentous? Grand. Help a brother out. Epic. What's that? It's important. It's really, really important. Yeah. Well, the word momentous obviously comes from the word moment. It is a word. It it is something that's momentous is filled with moments, right? And At least poetically, I kind of appreciate it. It's like, well, you know, this is something that's so big you have to live it moment by moment is sort of my takeaway from that. And and life is often like that. Life is often momentous. I prefer the word momentous to the word ominous. It's like, well, this is momentous. This is big, this is important, this is changeful. This This is gonna change my life forever, which means I have to live it moment by moment. I have to get every moment down. I think that's just a great life skill. It's like, this moment is exciting. This moment is filled with grief. This moment is filled with regret. This moment is filled with heartache. This moment is, well, it's filled with faith. It's filled with celebration and joy. It's, it's momentous and somehow you kind of crush those moments together and you get an intense season of life and, and I think that's what resurrection is, you know. Resurrection is momentous. It comes out of very momentous times Jesus let Lazarus die. That was a momentous choice, you know, a momentous choice. He actually delayed to make sure that Lazarus would die. Just like Father God would, a short while later, let Jesus die in a particularly grisly fashion, yeah? Uh, Jesus, when he stood in front of Lazarus' grave, even knowing that he was going to resurrect Lazarus, took a moment to weep with Mary, Lazarus' sister. The shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. That comes from the story of of, uh, Lazarus. He he actually mourned with Mary and then immediately resurrected Lazarus. There's, There's just such life wisdom in that, you know? Just living in a momentous fashion. Each reaction appropriate to the moment. And then he moved on. Then he moved on to the next moment. It's like, all right, Lazarus, enough. Come out of the grave. Just fascinating. Such wisdom and such power in it because I believe there was as much power in Jesus' grief as there was in Jesus' resurrection command. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's helpful to you. It's not a bad model, model moment to moment. It doesn't eliminate all grief, but you know what it does? It eliminates dread. It teaches you that one moment leads to another and that in life there actually is no such thing as a dead end. There actually is no such thing as death that leads to only death. That any dead end, that any death, that any disappointment, that any brokenness can in the next moment lead to life. It's just that You can't get stuck in the moment of death, can you? And of course, the ultimate Christian message is that even like literal physical death is just a a comma. And that's the message of Easter that we celebrate most intensely. There's a lot of devastation in life caused by by dread and and we come up with coping mechanisms to handle it. It's like, oh, this is not gonna turn out well. And maybe, maybe your coping mechanism is resolve but I'm gonna take it on the chin and I'm gonna just walk through it anyway. That's what I would do. Or maybe your coping mechanism is like the pretentious faith. Oh, nothing's really gonna happen. I'm just gonna be, you know, happy every day all the time because that's what Jesus would want. And and the problem with that is that tends to be bipolar because when the stuff hits the fan, you swing the other way. Like, oh, faith failed me. No, it's just that you had a shallow sort of it. Or maybe your coping mechanism is the sort of lukewarmth that most humans adopt. It's like, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just go, ah, it's just life, you know. There's not much that we can do. You sort of adopt this attitude of powerlessness and going with the flow and seeing where life takes you and all of that nonsense. Um... Jesus had unkind words to say about lukewarmness. But maybe you don't need a coping mechanism. Maybe you just need to live life intensely in the moment with realistic faith that that understands that, oh yeah, pain can happen, disappointment can happen, your dreams can fall apart, death can definitely happen. And then there's the next moment. And God can work life out of any situation. God can bring you forward out of any failure. You know, always be open to life. I think that's the message. Um, In this Lenten meditation on the season of Easter, always be open to life happening. In any and every situation, no matter how dry you feel, no matter how broken, no matter how dead-ended, you know, always be open to life. And I think that's kind of the core of the Christian mindset right there. Right there. Always be open to life. If it takes a miracle, it takes a miracle. Be open to it. If it just takes a firm decision, well, make the firm decision. Be open to it. If it just takes walking forward, then walk forward. Always be open to life. Don't get stuck in death. There's no reason to get stuck there.